we're going to continue our study uh, in the book of 1 Corinthians, uh, particularly chapter 13. Uh, it's been a couple weeks, so some of you may remember uh, we left off in uh, chapter 12 uh, where Paul made us understand that in the Corinthian church, even though they were a the well-gifted church and they had the gifts in the ministry, they were not all working in one accord. And so there was a lot of uh, disunity there based upon gifts and which gifts some considered more important. So in chapter 13, he tried to come back and say, okay, I talked to you about the gifts, but now I need to show you a more perfect gift to have. What, what is the best one that all of you ought to have, regardless of whether you prophesy, speak in tongues, or whether you can do anything, you teach, you minister, whatever it is, if you don't have this particular gift working in you, then all those other gifts don't mean nothing. They, they, they amount to nothing. And so that's why chapter 13 is kind of corn. It's the, the love chapter. And, um, and when I decided to call it, uh, I was reminded of a song that uh, Tina Turner, bless her soul, uh, wrote some years ago called What's Love Got to Do With It? You know, I'm not going to take her, her meaning of how she said it. I'm just going to steal her title and say, you know, from God's perspective, lo love, everything hinges on love. Everything hinges on love. And, and if we can understand that, then we could really understand how God operates because God is love. It is the very essence of who he is. And, 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 and because of that, it is his highest attribute. And so when Jesus gave his disciples and was, they were asked the question, what is the greatest commandment? You know, he said, you got to love the Lord that God with all their heart, all their soul, with all their mind, and with all their strength. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So it's the highest and greatest. So before we get into that, when, you, when we think about love, you know, and you think about that command, you know, the question becomes, what does the command, that command for us to love mean to us? What does, so when, I, when Major read that, what does that really mean to him when he read that this is what God expects of us? This is his highest command, the greatest command. How do Major interpret that and how would he apply that in his daily life? So Major, just, just if you said, Jesus said, this is what you got to do, Major. How do you feel like you, you're going to carry that out? So, um, I first thought, but of course, studying and reading now is different than what I first thought. First thought, okay, you're supposed to love people in spite of, and then I said, okay, in spite of whatever they do to you, in spite of whatever they say to you, uh, in spite of how people treat you, you're supposed to love them. But I think now, I mean, it goes, it goes deeper than that. You're supposed to love others more than you love yourself. Uh, you're supposed to serve others in spite of who they are, what they are, what they've done to you. Uh, love in everything that you do. If you don't equate love into that, I won't say that it's useless, but that's not what God expects of us. Amen, amen. Anybody else? Anybody else? Just your thoughts on, on how you see that command when God tells us to love. I mean, he, he wants to love with our whole being. And, uh, and at the same time, he tells us to love your neighbor as you love yourself. 
So, the, so what we have to look at is what would you do to yourself? How would you treat yourself? And so if you wouldn't do something to yourself, then you shouldn't do that to your neighbor, you know? And, 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 and whether you have a spiritual gift or not, that gift is nullified if you don't operate in that gift in love. Because what we're going to see here tonight is that sometimes we can have the wrong motivation when we're operating in God's gift. And if our heart is not right and our, our motivation is not right, then God is saying your gift is worth nothing. Even though, you know, these folks were fighting over which gifts were more superior than others and things of that nature, he's going to try to get them to see here that is not important to God. God is saying, hey, whatever I have blessed you with, I expect you to operate in love as you use that. And so that's one of the things that I think that a lot of people, uh, we sometimes in the church think that because I do something in the church, it ought to be acceptable but God is saying it ain't acceptable if you're doing it and it's not in love. Even though the good things you do and the good things you try to do, we got to do things with the right attitude and the right spirit because that's a reflection on God when it comes to love. So now look at this. And, and anybody else want to comment before I get started? Okay. Yeah. So, go yeah. ahead, Brother Greg. <clears throat> what I was going okay. Yeah, what I was going to add is um, me personally, uh, maturity. There's a level of maturity that I had to grow into to express love. Because in a sense, in the physical, yeah, I can love you in the physical. But then to have the love like the spirit is involved because uh, there are things that I have experienced where if the spirit was not involved, I don't think I've been able to express that love outwardly. Amen. You know, so. Amen. And, and so that's why, you know, as you were saying ab about the various aspects of love. You know, because in America, a lot of times, when we use the word love, we kind of confine it to a narrow meaning, you know. And, but in the Greek, they had different words that talked to love. And so therefore, based upon how you're using it, then people understood it based upon how, they, how the word they used. Like, I could say, I love my wife, then I can turn around and say, I love my children, then I can turn around and say, I love major. In America, I'm using the same word, but people would have to interpret that to mean that the way that I say that I love major is not the way, same way that I say I love my wife. Right. You see, and, and so, but in the Greek, they would have different words to go with that. So if I'm talking about the God kind of love, that's why you hear the word agape, that's the one that, hey, where I can love people unconditional, and that's the type of love that God expects us to show to everybody because that's how he is, his love is, in that agape reign. When, when we're talking about the love in a, in a relationship, the Greek word for that is eros, you know? So when we talk about in, in the natural, you know, uh, in a physical realm, we will say, hey, someone is making love, then we think, oh, okay, they're having sex. Right. Well, in the Greek, they wouldn't use love. They would have another word. That word would be eros type love. Then filial love is the love that when I say I love major, well, I'm talking about I love major as a friend. Right. And so the word filial 
is where we get the word Philadelphia from, and Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. And, and so then the last one is storge love, and that love there is what we call familiar love. That's the love that you will have with people in your family that you're familiar with, that type of love that a parent will have for a child or a child for a parent. But in America, for the most part, we will use that one word love for all of those, but we have to know that, that it, it is translated differently with our actions. I love my children, but I wouldn't love my children in the way that I would love my wife. You see what I'm saying? And, and, and so what we got to understand is God expects us to operate in the highest love. This is not talking about any of those other love, eros and all that. This is talking about purely that agape type love that God represents. And that's why it was so important for them to understand this. That's why when we started reading this, we said, now look, if I could speak in all the languages on earth and of angels, but don't, didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. So he was telling us, hey, if you speak in tongues in church, if you can speak in, in, in the language, in a spiritual language, but you're operating in that language without love, then he's saying that you're just making noise. That's right. Because what's going to happen is, is that people are not going to respond because you're speaking in a particular language. They're going to respond when they see how you act after you finish speaking in language. If people know that you don't meet some of these other qualifications, I'm going to read back here later, and they know that, then what that does, that tune out your gift. And so, therefore, we have to try to say, okay, in everything we want to do, we want to operate in love. So, if whether I speak in tongues or whether I prophesy, everything got to be done in love. So, he said, now, look, if I had the gift of prophecy and if I could understand all of God's secret plans and possess all knowledge and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. Man, he's saying a lack of love can nullify a whole lot of spiritual gifts that you think you're operating in. If you're not operating in those gifts and love, if you can edify people and encourage people in that realm of prophecy or even speak things of the future, he's saying, look, man, when you can do all those things but you're not doing them in love, then God is not going to be glorified. God is not going to be honored because he is love, and he expects us to always to do our best to operate in love. And I know it's, it's difficult because we're imperfect beings. That's what he's going to let us know here later. But at the same time, the expectation is that we're going to know how to operate in love. And then, you know, in verse 3, he said, now look, even if I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. In other words, if, if, if Pastor Bolden is a charitable person, a brother Purdue is a charitable person, and he would give the, you know, the clothes off his back to someone that's homeless, you know? But he's saying if you don't do that in love, it amounts to nothing. Now, the person that you give it to may feel like, boy, I got a blessing. They will have. But if, they, if God knows that your reason for giving it is not in love, then sometimes we can do things like that in a, in a prideful state. Right. We do it to be seen of men and to get glory of men and not the glory of God. And then now that mitigates what we're doing for somebody. Now that person, like I said, is going to be blessed because you done gave him your coat. That's 
But now once you give them the coat, you're going to go tell everybody. You see what I gave them over there? You know, I gave them the coat over there. You know, da, da, da. And, and, and God is saying, you already got your glory. You would rather receive the glory of men than to receive the glory of God. So now look here. Then after he get through verse 3, we'll slow down right here. He started to talk about what love is. And, and, and the thing that he, and what love is not, he said, now look at this. In verse 4, he says, first, love is patient. Got to take these one at a time. Love is patient. Now what does patient mean to you when you think about that? Just think about it. Love is patient. You know, anybody? Okay, get a mic, Gloria. Gloria said, got connect patient to waiting. Uh huh. Go ahead, say it again. Waiting. Okay, so, so sometimes we say put on patient, that means you gotta be, uh, uh, in some translation of the Bible, use the word long suffering. You got to be able to kind of wait, be patient. But also, love is the opposite of being, I mean, uh, patience is the opposite of being short with people and short tempered. You know, sometimes, you know, because you're impatient, you can get very short with people and become short tempered. And so we got to understand that he says, look, love is patient. So love, the next one, he says, love is kind. Now, what does kind mean to you? Kind, anybody? Brother Badu, you got it? Yeah. Your answer is your answer, because how you interpret this is how you're going to apply it. What does kind mean? Being considerate of one another. Okay, being considerate. Okay, yeah, that's, that's a good one. Don't be grouchy. Don't be grouchy. Well, that's maybe coming on another one. <laughs> kind, kind, kind. Go ahead, Brother Perdue. Kind, uh, I'm going to be kind to Kindness kind of talks toward that thing. You know how when you do something out of generosity for somebody, you're going to treat them in a kind way. And God is saying he expects us to be kind uh, uh, and generous to others' needs, you know, uh, how we should act in a way of kindness toward one another, you know, being kind, being generous. And, 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 and what he's saying is that as Christians, man, we ought to expect that from one another. We ought to expect that we're going to be kind to one another because he says love is kind. Now then he goes on to say, you know, Love is kind. Then he say, love is not jealous. Now, jealous. What comes to your mind when you think about jealous? When he say, love is not jealous. Envy. Okay. Yeah, that's a good one. You know, uh, you may have a gift, and someone else may have a gift, and you got different gifts since that's the context we're talking about here. Then if Major got the gift of singing, you know, and I got the gift of teaching, then I should not be jealous of Major's gift because he can sing better than I can teach. Or 
becoming envious because maybe someone can do multiple things. God has blessed them to have multiple gifts, and you only got one gift. Then now, instead of you celebrating and using your gifts, you get jealous of what other folk got. Instead of saying, God, whatever gift that you've given me, I'm going to use it to the best of my ability to glorify you and to serve you and your people in the church. It, and not even looking at what this other person gives. But it's so easy for jealousy to seep in a certain thing. And because in, in, in our nature, when people sing or when they're doing things, it becomes about sometimes look like a competition instead of us cooperating with one another and say, hey, this is not we're competing when we sing to the Lord. We're just trying to praise God in a spirit of unity. And yes, all of us got different abilities and skill sets and teaching, preaching, and all that. But I shouldn't be jealous of someone who can do something that God has blessed them to be able to do because they can do it a little bit better than I can. And so he's saying, when we operate in love, then love is not jealous. And that was one of the problems in the Corinthian church because those with the lesser gifts, as they thought, were jealous of the ones who they thought had the greater gifts. And you have to go back and read last chapter where they listed all the gifts and the things that was going on in the church. And so he was saying, we should not be jealous if we're brothers and sisters and we're serving the same God and we're trying to serve his people. We shouldn't be jealous of another person's gift. We ought to celebrate each other's gifts and not be jealous of each other's gifts. Pastor, would that also be considered that uh, covetedness? Covenants, yeah, that's just similar when you are coveting something that someone else has. Yeah. Jealousy can lead to that. Envy, all those things kind of lock in and tie together. And sometimes jealousy can bleed over to the point that you start resenting that person, resenting them for the gift they have, and that just take you on to a deeper level of, 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 of uh, a discontentment with that person, you know. Because sometimes it can even lead as far as to hating people because you're so jealous of them because it looks like they got something you don't have and, and, and you and you envious and want that. And then now you start taking your action out against that person. Okay? So he says, now love is not jealous or he says boastful. Love is not boastful. Well, boastful is another way of saying, hey, love is not prideful. You know? So as believe we know that the Bible says pride go before fall. And so, but the Bible tells us the way to get to the top in the kingdom of God is to humble yourself. The Bible says if you humble yourself in due time, God will exalt you. And so, therefore, we have to believe that, hey, our role is to just be humble. And then now when God exalts us, we don't need to brag about it because it's not about us. If we're going to make our boast, our boast should be in the Lord. We ought to be telling people, hey, this is what the Lord did. That's why our testimony is so important, because our testimony is not supposed to be about us. It's supposed to be about what the Lord did through us or for us. And so he's saying, so therefore, we got to be careful that when we do things, that what we're doing don't become all about us. And, and now our pride get in the way, and then now God's love is not seen in anything that we're doing. No matter whether you're teaching or preaching, singing, or serving as the usher at the door, you know, and, and, and we shouldn't be doing it in a boastful manner. Then he says, or proud, so that proud and boastful kind of go together, or proud. Then he says, love is not rude. 
Wow. What does rude mean? When you think of rude, what do you think of? I mean, what does rude mean? You wouldn't expect rude in the church. You, you just wouldn't expect rude in the church. Being ugly. Being what now? Ugly. Okay, being ugly. Okay, that, that, that's probably being ugly to folk, okay? Attitude-wise. Attitude, okay. Yeah, okay, so it's saying rude. Brother Herb, go ahead. I was going to say disrespectful. Disrespectful, okay. So it, it ties to everything you just said. Refers to our actions that are improper, impolite, discourteous, or crude. You know, believers who have gifts, but then all of a sudden they rude to people. Man, people remember rude. And, and a lot of times it is rude that run a lot of folk away from church. Amen. Because they don't come to church expecting rude, man. They, they just feel like, hey, man, I'm walking into the hospital. All the nurses are going to be good to me. The doctor's going to be good. But then all of a sudden now I walk in sick and I meet rude. And when people meet rude in the church, they don't want to come back. Because people just don't, put, don't like to put up with rude. No one has to be rude to somebody. I mean, even though you don't like something, you can dislike it without being just rude. Just hold your peace. Be patient with them. That's what you already told you. Love is patient. Be patient with them and move on. But sometimes when that happens, we often say, well, you know, that's just my personality. I'm just like that. Well, I'm saying our personality got to be governed by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit, you know, the Spirit got to get in there. Because what, what sometimes make it look like, now that we have changed, we don't think the Spirit of God can change us. You say we, we say we've been changed, but just because I was brought up a certain way doing a certain thing, what we have to do is become conscious of what we are, and then as we become more conscious that I'm acting in a certain way, then we'll start breaking those habits. But if we're not conscious of it, and we keep doing it, and then when and people won't say anything, then it get out of control. And, and so when you go to a store, you know, you don't expect the people, you finna spend your money in this store, you don't expect rude. Rude just make you want to, I'm gonna put this back, man. I ain't, I ain't even buying this. Even though I need, I'm gonna go to the other store down the street. I ain't even buying this here. Because it's rude. And so so if that work out in the real world, he's saying, look, man, that, that ain't supposed to be even in the church. Because if a person would do that in the store, they would do that in the church. And so that's why we have to make sure that we don't operate in that spirit of rudeness. Then he says, love does not demand its own way. You know, sometimes when you get to the point where you can look out for the interests of other people, It'll keep you from always concerned about your interests and having to get your way. Yes, sometimes, you know, we say this all the time, and it's a, just we say to try to help members. A lot of times we have uh, ideas and things, and even when I was in the military, they used to always tell us, you know, depending on where you are in the, in the, in the chain of command, and you got this great idea, once it starts going up, don't marry your idea. And you say, don't marry your idea. If the person up here don't see your idea the way you see it, 
and they take pieces of it, don't marry. But a lot of times, it's part of our nature. If we create something, we marry it, and then now when it gets changed, then now we get upset. Because now we're starting to act like a child and say, I want my own way. It's either I'm going to get my own way uh, else. And so what sometimes we have to realize is that, yes, it's good for us to come to the table with ideas in love, but at the same time, we got to understand that sometimes the best way got to win the day, you know, or, or the final decision got to carry the day, and you got to accept that in love. And that's why I tell people, and I learned, like I said, this was just a valuable lesson I learned from my military career. Had great ideas at the time, but man, once it got up to the colonel, it may come back with some ink on it, say, change this. And I thought, man, that was one of my favorite words in that EPR. I, I really read hard to find that word. And you done took that word out. Now, I could have said, I insist on getting my own way. But the man who got to put his signature on it didn't like that word. Had to live with that. Sometimes that can be hard. But he's saying, sometimes in the church, you, you just gonna have to accept the fact that we ain't gonna always get our own way. Because apparently, here in the Corinthian church, there was those who said, hey, look, they demanded their own way. Then he says, Love is not irritable. Wow. What does that mean? What do you think? Come, yeah, you ain't got to be scared. Come on, just talk about irritable. I mean, you know what you, when you, you is anybody ever irritated you? You know, you know what I'm saying? Irritated. Yeah. Irritated. Agitated, irritated, you know, somebody. Huh? bother you, yeah. I mean, and, and, and when you get irritated, sometimes, you know, you get touchy and a little angry. When you get irritated, you say, so he said, now look, love is not irritable. It don't, you know, it's not easily angered. I'm not so touchy that, you know, if someone, sometimes people just can go off with any little word. I mean, it, it can be an innocent <laughs> word, and nobody really meant it. You, they just kind of said it, and boom, you don't went off. Irritable. And and, and sometimes I tell people, take in consideration of who's doing the talking. Right. You know, and, and don't go off the handle about every little word that everybody says, because some folks just don't know no better. They need to know the love. But you can't teach them to love if you're gonna if you're gonna set them on fire because you because you done got <laughs> irritated. Then now we're gonna have two problems. I know this is tough. I, this is tough in any situation because he says. Love is not irritable. And then he, this is a good one. I know this work with married folks, and I'm pretty sure with church folks too. Love keeps no record of being wrong. Now I know, I know, I know that's a problem. That's a problem. That's a problem. But it's, okay, so, Go so ahead, talk about it, Major. Talk no, no, it. I'm just, I just want to try to get a understanding here. So Paul was talking to the Corinthian church and he was telling them, okay, you got all these gifts, but if you don't love, it's, it, it's not that it doesn't mean nothing, but so you should do everything, but you should include love. But so what I want, does he expect us, and I already know it, Nancy, I know what you're 
Does he expect us to love in spite of how we're treated? Because some of this stuff right here, irritable, keeping no record, all that, all those things can lead me not to love you. So does he expect us to love in spite of all these things if they're done to you? So he expects us to say, hey, man, you got looked up, you know, look the other way. You still have to love. Or is he saying, okay, yeah, you got all these gifts in this church. Y'all have a shouting good time. But an expression of love is something that we did last night. Forget, forget about how people treated you. Forget about all those things. You still have to have the spirit of love. Is, is that what he's saying? Spirit of love in spite of everything else. Oh, yeah. That, that's, that's, what, that's exactly what he's saying. In spite of what, how you may feel about something. You still got to operate in that spirit of love. And he's saying that this is important. You got to understand the building process here. Man, if you start keeping record of everything someone <laughs> did wrong to you, man, that's going to build up in you. And then if it builds up too far, then you're going to have a, a, a revenge spirit, a vengeful spirit come over you. And then now you're going to start wanting to get back at those folks. Because it irritates you. Now you're going to get back. Go ahead, Omega. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm just saying. So, so I, I know. So is it even possible to do that? If someone wronged you, you ain't going to forget about that tomorrow. The pastor. Uh, the, uh, Brother Herb, while we change the mics around. Testing. Testing. Yeah. One of the things to remember what we just got to previous um, going over the spirit of the gifts that's given. And you have to understand why you are given the gift. What, what is the reason by having the gift? This is God's plan for the ministry. The whole idea is to ministry. When, when Jesus gave that commission to go out and make disciples. So the reason to be able to do that is God was able to give the people the spirit to give to be able to do the ministry. And with that ministry comes along when you get the power of the Holy Spirit. And as we understand when you get the power of the Holy Spirit it gives you the the gift of the Spirit. Now you almost remember, you almost gave pretty much everything of the of the fruit of the Spirit: love, kindness, patience. All that falls upon the, the Holy Spirit falls upon you, and that will carry on and, and able to do the the work of the ministry. God's given us the gift to do the ministry. And with, out of that, that comes along with everything that it says that I should love someone. I should be able to be kind because I'm going forward of the calling of the ministry that God has given me to be able to, to go forward. Okay. And so I'm saying that that's what uh, all these things that, and, and, and when you get this gift and people have been selfish, like you began to saying, well, I got this power of the gift. Then they use it on self-wise to a point where it was, that's not the intended for the gift that you receive. 
Amen. And that's what I'm just saying. The people misuse what the gift of the God has given them, and that's what the Corinthians is doing, what Paul is addressing to them. And they forgot what the with the gift was is for the ministry for the for for the people for God's work plan. Okay. Yeah, Sister Pam, I see your hand over there. Adrian, did you got something? Yes. Um <laughs> <laughs> so let's wait there. It, it is not irritable and it does not keep record. <laughs> now, 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 let me say this. This is not talking about the stuff that go back to chapter 5, the serious stuff that, what the church got to deal with. This really is, to, most of the time, these are the little, these are little petty things that happen in the church. Man, this is what you talk about. Man, they didn't speak to me today. Uh, I, they acted this way toward me. You know, it, it's little things like that that we just write down. And as you, as you keep a record of what happened, and this person said something to me, he said that love don't keep record of that. You try to, you try to look over some of the things that folks say and consider who it is that's saying it too. You know, because some people got issues. Some people just say things and don't really think things through. They got to they grow and mature. But if we take offense to every little thing someone say, that get us irritable. And then now once we get irritable, now we're going to recommend. Last time I did this, what Major did to me. And then now... I can't receive nothing from Major because the minute he opened his mouth, I'd, I'm, I'm on my list. I've got all these things. So now Major teaching me a powerful lesson that I could learn something from, but because I got this list of all the things he wronged me, I don't believe I can receive nothing from him. Pastor, I was going to add to, I, I agree with um, what Brother Herb was saying, but Major just had me thinking, um, people do wrong you. <laughs> You may be gifted, you may be operating the church, going around, doing, doing what you're supposed to be doing, and, and you are going to have some situations. I think it just comes with the, with the territory, but it's what you do. It's, it's your reaction to it, I think. Love has to be um, your focus and your why, why you do what you do. Why are you, you know, why, why do you have this gift to glorify God? That just has to be stronger than the opposition that you face or the, the things that come up against you, or the situations you have with different people, the, the love has to overshadow that. And the word says you have to make allowances for one another's faults. That's right. You gotta think about yourself, and you may have done something wrong to somebody and not even be aware, and someone could be keeping record, and you don't even know. You know what I mean? And so it just goes on and on. I just think that we gotta focus on what's most important. And Herb kinda hit it on the head when he said, he gave us the, these gifts to, to um, further the kingdom of God. When we get back to the why, we have these gifts, why those things are supposed to be operating. You can't overlook some things. It may take some people, wow, somebody longer than, than somebody else, you know what I mean, to get rid of that list, but it's possible. Yeah, uh, and, and I'm just thinking, it's what Pastor has said earlier, like some things that happen in church or some things that are said to you at church, I would say it hits you harder because it's done at church. I mean, because you're like, man, we in church? And, they, and he, said, he said that to me? And I'm supposed to say, uh, Brother, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you must say. I love you in spite of that, man. I love you. I, I, I know, Pastor, I know that's what you're supposed to say, but immediately because Sometimes, you know, you may forget that you're far removed from the street, and then you might think, man, you're about to get this smoke. I mean, you, 
better or you didn't expect them to do that is because we're Christians. We expect them to do better. You know, but I'm like Pam. Um, I don't always pass that test. <laughs> I'm still work. God's still working on me. <laughs> Amen. Amen. That, and that, and that's, that's good to be honest. Miss Mob, I saw your hand. Did you have something? No, you. Come on, Miss Mob. I know you got something. You know, you done preached a whole sermon on love. I remember your love sermon to this day. You know what I mean? <laughs> but, but. So, so what he's saying is that, man, as, as, when we love people, we can't keep a record. And I think sometimes I see this often with couples, you know, when you're in a relationship, you keep be keeping tit for tat. You know, you did this last time, you did that, and you just build it up and build it up and build it up. And then when y'all finally get to that point that you thought that, okay, it's behind us, then they bring up everything else along with that one. That's why I tell people when I counsel people, man, you have your weekly or monthly or however, however often you sit down and talk with each other, and, and whenever you come to the family meeting to discuss something, you got to already have your agenda ready. You got to always have it, what you want to talk about. If something upsets you, good, bad, or ugly, just have it on that when you go to the family meeting. But once you start the meeting and the person that you're dealing with got something on their list that upsets you, you can't go back and pull out something on another list that ain't on your current list. You can't go back. Well, the last time you said, uh, no, wait, is that on your list? If it ain't on your list, you can't discuss it in this meeting. We can't make it up as we go because if we do, then now we're going to always be rehashing old stuff that we thought we done solved because that's how people are because they keep a list. They keep a list. <laughs> they last year you did this, you done did that. And, 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 and God is saying we can't be keeping record in our head to use against people when we get into those situations. Love don't keep no records like that. But isn't that, like, I, I think we talked about forgiveness. Uh, it's been a while ago, but and I think we said that, you know, if you're, if you're scarred for, for whatever reason, whatever was done to you, whatever that was, they say you're supposed to forgive, but you don't forget. But that's not, I don't think, uh, that's not the same as keeping a record. Because some things that are done to you or even said to you, 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 you won't forget. And it's, I don't think that it's keeping a record. It's just that it scarred you, so you don't forget it, but you've forgiven the person or what, whatever happened. You've forgiven the person for that, but will you forget? And I think, like, keeping a record has to do with that, hey, man, this is an open wound. This thing is still bothering me. There are a lot of things that have happened to all of us in life, but at some point in time when we have been healed from that, we can still have the memory of it, but we don't necessarily have the pain that's associated with it. Right. You know, so therefore I can look at scars on my body and remember exactly how, what was happening when I got hurt. But that scar now is healed. The memory is there, but the scar is healed, no longer with the pain. And that's what we can tell when we truly have forgiven people, when we no longer have the pain that was associated with what they did to us. But if you still get pain when you talk about it, then you still is holding on and harboring unforgiveness. Ms. Marvel, go ahead. Well, love holds no record. And so you shouldn't keep a record of how many times a person has hurt you or what that person has said to you. You should be able to forgive them because you have, we have hurt someone along the way. And we certainly don't want them to hold that over our head and bring it up every time you have a discussion or you uh, a, a confrontation with one another, you bring that up. Oh, I remember what you did to me. 
And so you can do that. I can remember times when I did that when I was younger, and I praise God that when God let me know what I was doing, I didn't do it. Whatever was in the past was in the past, and I couldn't bring it back up because I didn't want my past brought back up everything that I did. So we have to learn to walk in forgiveness and love one another and not hold it because what it does to you, when you harbor that in your spirit, it begins to take a toll on your health and everything else. After a while, you begin to, you you don't know why. I don't know why I'm having this headache all the time. I don't know why my stomach is so upset all the time. That's because you're harboring something that you have not released, and you have to release it. And if you don't release it, it will cause you to have too much going on in your body. Your anger and, and, and resentment built up on the inside can, it's been proven, it will impact your health. Brother Her? No, I'm just going to go along with uh, uh, Sister Mara. She was saying it's, it's called forgiving and release, forgiving and release, and just, uh, just talk about that, and, and pretty much, when you forgive, you release it. If you don't forgive, you retain it, and, and, and everything that, what she just got you saying, you, once you don't forgive, you retain it, it will cause issues. So Amen. you gotta learn how to, I think, it, I can't, I'm trying to find a scripture exactly tells you that. I went through the wrong scripture, but it tells you when you forgive, releasing it. Amen. You'd be surprised how that, uh, how that works. That's when you don't keep no record. Amen. Amen. That's when he comes in. You don't keep no record. Amen. But Amen. is it that easy? Yeah, well, no, I, I, he said we're easy. That's why you just... You, well, no, you, but, but I'm thinking more in terms of, you know, trauma from childhood or, oh, right, yeah. you know, certain things that, you know, it could be 10, 15 years. I can still remember some things, you know, in my life. And until I forgave, and even when I did forgive, I still remember it, I still remember how it hurt me. Not that, not that I react to it anymore, but, but I, I, I do remember it. And I, not that I kept the record, but because I was so hurt by it, I still remember it. Yeah. I, not, and again, not that I react to it, but I just didn't know how to deal with it. Yeah, and, and, and here, he's talking about like an offense and you just keep adding them up and adding them up and adding them up, these little things. You know, the, the context here is really not talking about something so traumatic, like, you know, something happened to you when you were a child and all that. That's a, that's a different uh, set of circumstances. But even in those circumstances, at some point, like Brother Herb is saying, you're going to have to get to the point where you can release that so that you don't harbor all that and becomes anger and bitterness inside of you. And once it does, if you don't take it out on that person who did it, you're going to take it out on somebody else. Yeah. Pastor, okay. Adrian did, Brother Oh, I was going to add to that. You usually, you're keeping, when you keep a record of wrong, is when you don't release, you keep that record when you don't release, or when you don't, when you don't deal with it. Right, right. When it's undealt with, it, it just, it's, it is, it's building up. It's building up. And the way you deal with that, you go to that person, you either pray, you know, you pray for that person, I had to find out in my own life, not everybody that you go to is going to give you the response or is going to respond the way that you expect. And so you may go with good intentions and with forgiveness in your heart, but that response can trigger something a little further. And so you have to know that forgiveness is really for you. It's not really, it, you know, the other person may be going on with their life, not even realizing that the, the impact that, you know, of what they've done to you. 
the forgiveness is for you, for you to let go and so that you can move on and not have that bitterness, that root of bitterness building up and causing different things in your life and causing you to react to other people, other people paying for what, what happened to you <laughs> and that type of thing. So I think you make, keep that record when you don't deal with the issue. Well, her. I wouldn't be here if my law kept a record of my rebellion. I wouldn't be here. Mm -hmm. He showed me the greatest love for me. And I cannot do to others what he wants me to be of him. I mean, the great example is God himself. And you're talking about love. The great example that he's, that I'm here today is because he forgave thee. Not only forgave thee, but what did he say? I remember your offense unto me. What is great examples of that? Amen. I mean, if we, so you see what God has given to us, and you can't do no, to no other. And, and I think he says that in Romans and Ephesians also is that when we think about what God has forgiven us, for, uh, then that ought to cause us to always treat others, you know, like God treated us, you know, and, 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 to, and to treat them in a, in a way that is representative of who God is in our life, and that is love. Now look at this. Let's go on now. He said, now look. It, in verse 6, says, it does, but love does not rejoice at injustice, but rejoice whenever truth wins out. You know, and so when, and, and we're living in a time now where a lot of injustice go on, and, and, and some people celebrate injustice. You know, but, but love does not rejoice in injustice. Love rejoices in the truth and try to get to the truth of a situation or the truth of the matter because Jesus says he is the way, the truth, and the light. God is a God of truth. And so, therefore, we have to try in our heart always to rejoice whenever truth wins out. Every now and then, injustice will win out, but we rejoice not when injustice wins out. We rejoice when the truth wins out. And so, and that's important for us because we have to make sure, like Brother Herbert said, that we want to respond in a way that's going to let, 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 let the world know that we understand how God see love. And sometimes that is difficult, like Major said, because he realized we're imperfect beings, but God didn't lower the bar. I mean, he, 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 he set an expectation for us to try to reach the bar, not for him to lower it down to where we are. It would have been easy if God said, okay, I'm going to lower the bar to Major because I know Major can't get over this. Way. No, the bar is still here, you know. God said, Major, you got to, the bar is up there. It ain't coming down, Major. Because I love you, Major, but the bar is not coming down. And so what we got to do is to always try to live up to what God's expectation of us is. And, and so, so how is, how is the injustices that we see today? Get a mic. So, so the injustices that we deal with today, and I know what this is talking about. So how would, what's our role as Christians about some of the injustices that's been currently going you know, the, the killings and shootings, because those are injustices. So how, how are we to handle those? Are we 
I, I think there are different ways that, 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 that ministries or churches or Christians in general respond to that. The first thing what he says is that we can't rejoice when we see stuff that's done wrong. So that means that when, for me, if I see something that I know is wrong based upon God's standard, and, I talk, and I'm talking to Major, and he seems like he rejoicing in it, then I'm going to let him know, hey, man, you know, based on the word of God, that's wrong. I'm not going to sit here and, and, and agree with you because my silence may make, enable you to make you think that what you're doing is right or what you're saying is right. Now, we can disagree on different points in life, but there are certain things that the Bible says this is wrong. I can't, I can't rejoice in injustice. You know, when people are tri treated in an unjust way in our system, and like right now, there's a lot of unjust things going on in America. So, yes, the church, the church used to be more active, especially the black church, used to be more active and more vocal when it came to things like that. But I think we done got kind of quiet on certain fronts now, don't want to upset nobody, so we kind of stay in the middle of the road. But sometimes we just have to call wrong wrong because that's what the Bible says wrong. And, 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 I, and I think, but definitely we should not rejoice, but we rejoice when truth wins out. And, 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 and this what, uh, as he go on, Major, in verse 7, he starts now, he gives some positive attributes of love. After he then explained that all the things that love does not do, then he lists some positive things that love does. He said, now look, uh, love never gives up. Wow. So that means major that <laughs> you got you got to hold out hope for the brothers, baby. Whatever you, you don't give up, you don't give up on the situation. You got you just you, you just don't give up. Now the other person or whatever they other people may give up, but he said because of you and love, love never give up, man. Love all love always hold out hope and hope against hope. I I, I didn't say I couldn't, you know, but I'm saying. It gets hard. <laughs> and like you said, I mean, it didn't say it was going to be easy. That's right. That's right. So he says, love never gives up. You know, uh, and sometimes when love don't give up, you know, sometimes love will cause you to protect. See, sometimes you can show love when you are the recipient of something that someone else is saying that you know is not Right. When people, you know, sometimes in church, people will carry stuff and bring stuff to you, and you know that what they're saying is not right. So saying, okay, I'm going to find a way to love in this because this is not right in this. I'm not going to give up and say, hey, no. Sometimes we just have to stand up and, 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 and do what's right and never give up on love. Because sometimes, you know, uh, in the body, you want everybody. Everybody want everybody to get along. I mean, that's, that's my prayer, man. If we can all just, I'm the rotten king of the church, man. Can we just all get along? You know, can we? But you know, but sometimes you can't give up on that. You got to believe that, hey, man, this is a body and it's supposed to function as one unit where hands, feet, arms, legs, everything work together for the overall good of the body. So if you give up and say, man, you know, it ain't going to never work here in Strive, no, you can't do that. You got to keep holding out hope, man. Ne never give up. As long as there's breath, there's hope. So he says love never give up. Love never loses faith. Well, we know that without faith it's impossible to please God. So, you know, we, we, we got to be willing to think the best of others 
even, you know, I mean, by doing that major, it don't mean that we're gullible and let people take advantage of us. Because you're going to, like Adrian said, someone else said, you're going to have to go to people sometime. But man, because people do something wrong in the church to you, it shouldn't cause you to give up on faith and lose faith in God. Because again, we are all imperfect people. And, 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 and like you say, you don't expect that in church. I think that's what makes it so difficult when you come to church and you meet some of the same things you would meet out in the street. You don't expect it in church, but we forget that the church is a hospital. There's sick people. Jesus said, man, I'm going, it's sick people where I'm going. I, you know, I don't, I'm not around the well all the time. So there's sick people in church. And sick people going to do things to hurt other people. But you still have to love them in spite of what they're going through. They're sick and hope that they, if they grow and mature, they will start to understand what love is too. Because we don't come to God understanding love like this. This is not how we are taught coming up to love like God is saying love. And these Corinthians, these people had all these gifts, but they obviously weren't taught to love like this either. So I can imagine some of them sitting out there telling, shaking their heads, Paul, you just don't know, man. <laughs> you, you just don't know. Don't lose faith. I mean, you know how many times I've talked to Major about that? And you're going to tell me instead of that, don't lose faith. Come on, Paul. You, you really, you really, he used never, Major. <laughs> That's absolute. So he let us know that, man, we got to hold out to faith to the end, Gloria. You can't, you can't give up on the faith. He said, now look, love is always hopeful. <laughs> love is <laughs> always hopeful. Lo love, hopeful is talking about, you know, when you hope, you're going to come back later. Hope is always looking forward. To an expectation of something that you don't have. So, so when, when we don't operate in love, then if we lose hope, then we start looking backwards. And I'm always looking back at what Major did to me. Not hopeful that one day the light gonna come on and Major gonna understand what love is all about. But when I lose hope, I'm looking back, man, that Major, last time I did this, last, now I'm keeping record. So he said, love got to be hopeful, man. You got to have an expectation that things will operate better when we operate in love. Look, man, he put a lot of pressure on love, Major. He said, love endures, every, every, endures through every circumstance. Man, he put a, he, love, he put a lot of, <laughs> every circumstance. Every circumstance. Every, he said, love endures. And love endures the circumstance that happened in the body. That's tough. But it's tough because I don't think a lot of people in the body understand love like this. We come to church all the time, but that don't necessarily mean we really understand how God see love. And when we don't understand how God see love, then we operate in that love that is not about agape, it's about our feelings. And so therefore now, however I feel, that's how I'm going to respond to you. And because of my feelings, I may not respond to you in love because I don't define love like that self-sacrifice in love. I don't define it. I don't define it like that. I ain't been the self-sacrifice for major. 
You see? But God said, I got to be willing to love at that level. True, and then sometimes, you know, I may receive something wrong being prideful, thinking too much of myself. I might have received it. I might be, I might be hurt because I'm thinking, hey, you know, I'm better than that. I'm, I'm, you know, you know what I mean? I mean, I might be like saying, I can't believe he said that to me, the head usher. (laughs) 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 Me. Yeah. And, you know, you know, sometimes that's prideful. You know, you may, I may receive that wrong. And the, the person that was giving it, that wasn't even their intent. Amen. And, again, that goes back to what he had said earlier you know, about a love is not, you know. Right. And, and, and so when he talks about this and identify these four things, then he come back to let us know that all those other gifts, because they're not on the same level as love, they're not enduring. You, you, they won't be here forever. So he says, look, prophecy and speaking in, in verse 8, in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. You know, when we look forward with the expectation of where we hope to go, he's saying there's going to come a time when you, you won't need prophecy. You won't need any unknown language. You won't need any special knowledge because right now all knowledge is not going to be revealed to you on this side. So he said now, but love lasts forever. Why does love last forever? Say it, Ms. Marvel. Because God is love and he loved us unconditionally. Amen. And so because God is love and the very essence of who he is, when everything else pass away, love going to still be on the scene. That's right. That's right. And we're going to see here later in a few minutes, love is the only of the three that when you say faith, hope, and love, love is the only one that you would need later in eternity. You won't need faith. You won't need hope. Go ahead, Brother Hurd. Yeah, again, I'm, 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 I'm receiving Paul, why he will write this letter to the Corinthians. And as I was, well, as I stated before, is that the reason for Jesus Christ came is because it, it demonstrates the love that the Father had for us. And when Jesus was leaving, he gave, a, like I mentioned before, he gave a charge, commission, to go out. And as he, go, as he gave that commission, that means as for even this church, what is the purpose for us, in a sense, here at Striving for Perfection? It is that I believe that once we have received the love, we come we broke and we came and, and to this church. And I said for my leader, and I, I said for my leader, my pastor, is for to train, to guide me for the ministry that the gift that God has given me. And so if you, if you put it in the right order, if these people, I believe, did not get the right order, for the, all the gift that I was supposed to receive, it is to do the work for the Lord. 
to be able to go out, to be able to do that ministry, wherever the gift of God has revealed to me, then that means I should be able to, to perform that with the Holy Spirit now, of love, you know, with the Holy Spirit that gave it unto me to be able to do the things in love. It's not about the title. It's not about a title. It's about the gift to be able to do, go out and be trained here at Striving for Perfection to be trained of, to fulfill the gift that God has given me to do the ministry. And with that in mind is that it all comes down is love. Because it was love that Jesus Christ that came. It is love that God, that Jesus told the disciples to go out and, and to spread the gospel to bring forth in the ministry. So love is the most powerful thing because that's what is, that's what is to me, when I read in this, this letter, it overall was love that God has given unto to me and for the ministry to go forward to, to, to spread the gospel of love. And with that gift, I do it for, for the ministry, for the love of God. That's, that's the one I'm trying to establish here. And that's why I can see why he, because I, I believe that what's, what happened to the uh, Corinthians, pastor, mother, they didn't get, they didn't get the right order. They, uh, to me, this, they were using it wrong. And so Paul had to explain to them, you know, the gift that you have and what's given to you is all about the love of God to be able to do the ministry. Amen. And so, and if you, if you can't understand to get on where you at here, and, and how are we going to be a light of the world? That's what he's calling the church, to be the light of the world. And after they're going to be a light in the world, so we have to have an influence, like you just got to saying, to be a steward. You, I mean, the influence of the steward. You're teaching us. We have to be an influence. We're supposed to go seek. You just gave that last, you know, you're giving the message about seeking. Of how I'm going to seek. Well, if I'm supposed to be seeking, that means how to seek. Then you have to teach me, show me, train me of the ministry to be able to go out to seek. And then for, for me to go out to do that, I got to have love to be able to do that service for the Lord. Amen. Well, you know, love is a driving force behind uh, a lot of, uh, I would say most of the things that we do, the driving force behind it should be love. Even when Paul talked about it, I was compelled to carry this gospel. It was because he, he was compelled to, to love God like God loves him and to love people like God loves him. And so it's a motivating factor for everything we do. And, and, and the thing is, is that sometimes it takes a second seat uh, in the ministry to gifts, to other things. And people look at that more than they look at, okay, is this person really operating in the spirit of love? Or if they're caught up in self-pride, all those other things. And again, going back to last chapter, just read that. You can see the things that was going on in the Corinthian church that caused him to come back to this topic again. And here, here now, chapter 13. Ms. Marvel, you got something to say so I can read on before I start? Uh, I was just going to say, love is the foundation. And Jesus showed us how we should love by what he did and how they treated him and mistreated him and 
spit on him and did all the things to him, he showed us how to love in spite of, in spite of the difficulty, in spite of all he had to go through. He showed us when he hung on that cross and went through all of that, he showed us how we ought to love because there's no way in this world if someone did all of that to us that we would still love them. But he set the foundation for us. Let us know that we can do it because he did it and because he loved us so much. Amen. Amen. And, and, and like Major said, it, it sounds good when we're talking it. We got to be able to live it when it's happening to you. You know, when you're on that cross, you know, somebody done put you on that cross and did something to you. That's when this lesson got to come back out of your spirit and say, hey, man, God expect me to love in this situation. Because he says, now look, let me read on because I want to finish this. He says, now look, prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless because love lasts forever. Verse 9, our knowledge is partial and incomplete. God didn't tell us, we don't know everything that God knows even now, even though we got his word. And even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when full understanding comes, these partial things will become useless. Once Jesus is truly revealed and God's kingdom come, we won't need any more prophecy. We will, all those things are useless because now what we don't know in full will be made known to us. And, and so he said, now look, then he tried to use a contrast by contrasting that to how a child transitioned through life, you know, when he started talking about this in, in uh, verse 11. Uh, because our spiritual understanding is like a child growing. He says, when I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Then he used a metaphor, metaphoric language to explain it even deeper. He said, now look, now we see things imperfectly as in a cloudy mirror. I know, have you ever looked in a mirror that's not really clear and got a film over it? You can see, but it's not perfect until it's clean, and then you can see all the things revealed that's on your face or whatever, but it's cloudy. He says, now, so now we see things imperfectly as in a cloudy mirror, but then we will see everything in perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial, and incomplete. But then I will know everything completely just as God know, knows me completely. That time is to come. That is talking about futuristic. When, when the kingdom of God has come and all these things are taking place, then there will be nothing that, that has not been revealed to us. Right now, we don't have the full clear picture of everything that God is going to do. And he didn't give that to us. Even in the writing of the Bible, there are certain things that has not been revealed to us yet, and they won't be revealed until the appropriate time. It's came to come. So, but, but he comes back here in 13, he says, now look, but three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love going to last all the way to till Jesus come back. And the greatest of these is love. Love, love lasts longer and it's the greatest because I think Adrian or someone said it earlier is that once faith 
and hope is realized because faith and hope is connected to a future expectation. We have faith to believe that heaven is real because we've never seen it. And because we have faith, that causes us to keep hoping for something that we have never seen. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So faith makes me believe that heaven is real, and because I believe heaven is real and have not seen it, hope makes me keep expecting that one day it's coming. And so he's saying, once that happens, and I realize that heaven is real, I don't need to hope for it anymore. I don't need to have faith for it anymore, but once I get there, I still need to love. Because the person that's there is, is love. And, and so that's why we got to put our hope and expectation, and we got to walk in the greatest of these gifts, and that is love. Because that allows us to walk like God, because God is love. And so that's the point he was really trying to get through to the Corinthians. And, and, and in chapter uh, 14 next week, he's going to talk a little bit more on how that, that things ought to operate in the church, you know. And, and that's going to be pretty interesting in that chapter also. So I encourage you to read ahead, you know, and, uh, and take a deep dive into it. And next week when it's discussed, you know, you'll be, you'll be blessed. Now, I hope you have been following this, this letter that Paul is writing to the Corinthians. Again, this is 1 Corinthians. When we get to 2 Corinthians, you're going to see his tone and tenor change a whole lot because they, they started changing some of their ways. But right now, you know, this was a gifted church, but they was operating in flesh more so than in love and in the spirit. And so that's what he's trying to get across to them, and that's why he seemed like he's coming at them kind of hard in places because, you know, he was trying to let them know that if you're going to do things right, the body got to function like God ordained it to function, and every part is important to the whole body. No one person is more important than the other. Amen? All right, then. Are there any questions, any comments before we close? I've got a couple of announcements that we want to call your attention to. The bus is full for this trip this Saturday, so uh, if, uh, thank everybody who signed up. The kids are going to.